everybody. Welcome to the latest edition of Bali. I'm Carolyn April, and I'm looking, as always, for my good buddy, Seth Robinson. Seth. Hey, back and Hi. better than ever after the break. How are you? I'm good. We've It's been a while now, right? I know. Well, we had our little holiday break, which was, um, was nice. Uh, at least for me, it was nice. Well, I'll ask you about yours. And uh, here we are, back to uh, back in the saddle. Yeah, mine was very nice. I had a great time. I don't know that I mentioned last time, but um, we never do a lot of traveling around the holidays uh, or or hosting. And so we didn't have those, you know, things that we had to wrap our heads around this time. And so to us, it felt normal. And I had a really great time. Well, that's good. Yeah. Um, we don't travel, but um, we normally have pretty big gatherings and they were reduced this year. We did, we did still have like my parents around but that was literally it. Um, and uh, so it was, it was, it was muted. It was different, but I wouldn't say it was unjoyful. And, uh, you know, I kind of get, I'm getting used to just being home a lot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, after, after so long, you, you kind of have to get used to it. It's the new normal. I hate to use that, but it's kind of true. But, yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, ho- hopefully some light at the end of the tunnel here and um hopefully we we end this year in in a different space than than we ended last year i hope so um that said uh, it was a crazy week goes without saying i think we have to note um just a nutty week uh in terms of uh politics and and people and life and uh and uh i couldn't believe some of the things i saw on tv this week but needs mentioning i suppose yeah yeah this you know this isn't a political podcast i don't think we're yeah. gonna dive you know too much into what happened here but yeah for any for anyone listening it, it would almost be strange to to not acknowledge that that these events took place and definitely you know a little rattling but you know hopefully we continue to move forward here and and I, you know we wanted to talk about something else that that happened kind of on the political spectrum. Uh, it happened over the break, so it feels like it happened a long time ago because we haven't had a podcast in a while. But the solar winds attack that's been in the news for the past three weeks, really, and it, and it continues to be in the news, there's a there's a huge political angle to that as well. And I don't think we're going to dive into the, into the politics of that. But we did want to address the issue because it's right at the heart of so many things we talk about with security and the IT industry and, and their role that they play in security uh, and vendor relations and, and all of those things. So that's what we wanted to cover today, uh, this SolarWinds attack that has uh, really been unprecedented in kind of the scale and, and the way that it happened. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I think, honestly, it's sadly almost faded from the headlines in some ways. And I, and I, I think that... Um, it's something that trickles downstream to so many companies just to think about the potential for how they could be affected in such a way. I mean, I don't want to go through the, you know, the actual nuts and bolts of what happened. And clearly it was something that affected at a high end and enterprise type environment and the government. Um, and then you've got the whole geopolitical aspects of it, which is, you know, a big deal, very big deal. Um, but the ramifications potentially for smaller companies and and really our universe downstream are are pretty large and it, it's something to think about. And now we talk about security, Seth, you and I all the time, but this seems different. Would you say? 
Yeah, and I, I will talk quickly about what happened, you know, for anyone that's seen it in the news and, and has maybe seen some of the ripple effects, but they haven't looked into the, the details of what happened here. Basically, the attackers got into SolarWinds itself, into the place where they manufacture and compile the software that they're making for other companies to use. And they inserted code into that software. So then SolarWinds, you know, without knowing about it, is putting out software with a vulnerability in it. Mm -hmm. um, so this is called a supply chain attack because- they, I just learned uh, that today, supply chain attack. Right, right. Because the attackers got in at an, at an early point before the product was distributed. Um, and that's how it spread to so many people. And, and so I think there are a, a few really interesting angles to think about because of the nature of the attack. Uh, and because of the reliance that companies have on their technology these days. And, and you mentioned some of the downstream stuff for, for smaller businesses that, that might not have been affected by this particular piece of software because it's more of an enterprise level tool. But that's something that we've covered a little bit. And I was wondering if you would dive into that a little bit more, talking about you know this, this notion that we have of MSPs uh, and, and IT partners and, and IT solutions firms that do have contact with so many different clients and, and, and the type of responsibility that they need to think about because they are affecting such a wide range of companies. Yeah, it's a big issue today for MSPs and this SolarWinds thing just highlights that. You know, they are the face to the customer the customer doesn't really know what tools they use. And so now is it you know, overly incumbent upon the MSP to know whether or not the tools they're using are being uh, infiltrated in some way uh, by bad actors and whether the vendor that sells those tools is on top of it. You know, it, it comes down to a question of accountability and liability. And I think that scares a lot of smaller MSPs. It said, you know, I use this tool, like SolarWinds or whatever it happens to be, because SolarWinds does have an MSP level tool that is not, um, not the uh, Orion or enterprise uh, tool that we were talking about in terms of this hack, but, but you know who, who is responsible, and 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 how can I make sure that the implements that I'm using are safe for my customers? I mean, whose responsibility is that for a smaller company, a smaller MSP? That's a very difficult. It's a very difficult thing to tackle, and it also is something that needs to be built into a contractual agreement that you have with your customer as in, in terms of accountability. And, you know, I don't envy a small MSP trying to figure out whether or not they're responsible for X, Y, or Z uh, when it comes to something that got out of their control. Yeah, I, I, I don't either. And that actually ties into one of the points that I was thinking of for end users of, of these products that, especially with this type of attack, with a supply chain attack, you know, what, what an end user used to believe and what they want to believe is that the product that they're getting from a vendor or from an MSP, from whoever it might be, can be trusted. That mm -hmm. you, can, you can believe that it's been through, you know, a rigorous set of checks or whatever. And in many cases, it has been, you know, in, in almost all cases, it probably has been. But the complexity of the situation today probably means that you can't take that trust all the way to 100%. There has to be some responsibility, like you said, you know, with the MSP that might be then reselling this or distributing it, or for the end user that's just taking it from a vendor and then implementing it in their own IT architecture. 
you can't just say, okay, I'm going to trust that this piece is 100% foolproof uh, and has no vulnerabilities. From a, from a legal perspective, you know, you might be covered, and especially with cyber insurance and, and the way that that's been emerging for a lot of companies, you might have that policy where you can, you know, kind of be covered if you're dealing with a product that came to you in a faulty state. But we've talked a little bit about zero trust. And we said, we're probably going to be thinking about zero trust a lot more moving forward. And I think this is another aspect of it. I, I don't think that it's sufficient anymore to just say, well, this comes from a big vendor that I know or a trusted vendor. And I, I know what their process is. I think that it's kind of incumbent upon anyone that's using that to have a little bit of their own due diligence. And, and obviously every company is going to have to balance how much due diligence they put into it based on their resources and their appetite for risk. And, you know, again, whatever insurance policies they may or may not have, but I think there has to be some of it. I think you can't just blindly take things anymore and assume that it's been through enough of a process so that it's completely covered. You know, again, really no fault on the vendors here in, in, in every case, you know, sometimes there, there could be things that are done better, but again, it's just a very complex situation and it's nearly impossible to produce a product that doesn't have any vulnerabilities. Yeah, it's sad. Um, we've kind of reached a state where we're, we're a paranoid, you know, consumer. I, I would put it that way, where you, you, you need to be a, a doubting consumer at all times. And some companies can handle that and end user IT pros, et cetera, can handle that companies, but not all even think about that. And I think that's the one thing we haven't really talked about. I think there are lots of companies out there that blindly trust and it gets back to that discussion of zero trust, but zero trust means something to IT professionals. It means something to the solution provider channel community, those who, who deal in technology but not necessarily to the uh, regular Joes who are working in their organizations. And so that's another thing. So I think education becomes a big part of this. I'll give an example of weirdness that happened to me today is that um, apparently my daughter goes to a university uh, locally here and I just paid her tuition yesterday. And this morning got an email that said that there was a, a phishing email sent out under the guise of this university um, that asked you to click on something because your financial whatever um, needed attention. I know better than to click on that. But, you know, these, these are the kinds of things that I feel for organizations having to deal with all their employees and, and educating them, as we've talked about many times, to not fall prey to this sort of thing. It's, yeah. it's, a, giant, it's a giant animal to deal with. It is. And it's um, very tricky, right? You know, a lot of these things, like you just mentioned, are incredibly subtle, you know, that they're meant to look like normal behavior. And whether that's a phishing attack, or whether that's being inserted on a network, and, you know, doing everything that you can to, to make it look like you're not uh, having strange network behavior. You know, all of these things are, are very subtle. And I, I think that leads into the second big point that I wanted to make, which is, this attack, you know, this, this problem has been in company networks for uh, months now. And we've heard about that in the past, that, that bad actors can be living in networks for a long time without getting detected. The question would be, how do you ramp up the speed of detection and response? And especially for something as widespread as this, 
that detection could come from any company. And, and so how, how do they then begin sharing what they're seeing with any other users of the software or, or anyone else that might've gotten a phishing email or, or something like that? You know? So I think the speed of detection and response and, and the knowledge that you need in order to do detection and response really needs to bump up here. Uh, and companies need a lot of help with that and they need to work together on it. Yeah, well, I guess this um, points us to a skills dis- discussion in some ways and, and you know, workforce availability discussion, because I think currently many of the teams in the you know, IT world may not be equipped to do exactly what you're talking about and be that proactive and, and almost like sort of crisis management, but in advance. And I don't know what the answer to that is. I think it may be, is it more headcount? Is it better skilled people? You're our security uh, pro here. So uh, you may know better than I do, but it seems like it's, it's um, almost a logistical organizational issue that companies are going to have to tackle. Yeah, I, I think that from a skill perspective, you know, a lot of companies are struggling with how they address security. And I think one of the biggest shifts that we're seeing is they're beginning to dedicate resources to security, which I, I think is one of the biggest things that you can do to help this problem. You can imagine if you've got somebody who's part-time job is to kind of make sure that everything's okay with security. And in the, in the meantime, you know, they're upgrading the network and they're helping users with their PC problems and they're doing, you know, a million other things and they're kind of a jack of all trades, that's not going to be nearly as effective as somebody whose full-time job it is to, to make sure that the network is running the way it's supposed to and that there's no suspicious behavior. So I think that's a great shift that we're seeing, you know, these, these dedicated resources and then beyond the skills and beyond the way that people build out their security chains and their network of security professionals, whether that's internal or external, I think that general networking is another trend that we're going to see a lot more of. And I think this can happen, you know, in a lot of different ways. It could happen for MSPs getting together and talking about how do we, you know, sell security and how, how are we taking care of our clients as well as we can, or it could be IT professionals getting together, talking about what they're seeing. And and this is one of the the biggest reasons why CompTIA now has an information sharing organization. Uh, So the CompTIA ISAO has been formed exactly to help mostly MSPs with this type of issue, to, to be talking more with each other and to be sharing what they're seeing. And for one person to say, Hey, I've got a problem over here. And you know, either somebody else can help with that or everyone else can be aware of it and mm-hmm. realize that maybe they have the same problem as well. Yeah, I think the idea, and, and this this goes to what we're doing at Comtia, but but also anyone else's efforts of some sort of centralized um, intelligence place to go. Uh, and share ideas and and know what is going on is helpful because I think you can become an island and get really lonely out there trying to combat and and deflect and prevent a lot of the security uh, nightmares that that could happen to your company, especially like you said, Seth, if you're a small company that's got you know one person devoted you know a quarter of the time to being the security guru, which isn't sufficient in most cases, but you might not be able to afford somebody full-time. And that that's a real issue. And so having a, a, an external resource that you can consult to help you at least keep on top of like, hey, this is happening, this is happening, this is what you might be looking out for um, is a tremendously good resource. 
For sure. So if, if you are an MSP out there and you're feeling like you're on an island, we would definitely encourage you to check out the CompTIA ISAO. They've, they've been on top of this issue as well as a lot of other things that have cropped up over the past few months. And uh, this is an organization that you know spends its time looking at real-time actionable threat intelligence. Uh, they talk about the analysis of potential impacts and how to coordinate countermeasures and responses. So we will definitely put a link to the CompTIA ISAO in the show notes uh, for anyone that wants to take a look at that and join and be a bigger part of the conversation. Absolutely. I don't want to end on a bad note, but the scary part about this whole solar winds thing is that the impact of it is still not really understood. And I don't know that it's been um, remediated and that's pretty scary. So um, not, like I said, not to end on a bad note here, but uh, it, it, it just to underscore how serious something like this, this new kind of like this supply chain attack can be. And then you do really for months on end, maybe years, don't do not understand the real ramifications of what it's done to your network infrastructure, your servers, and all your data is something to ruminate on, I think. Right, right. Um, you know, we, we mentioned at the top of this that the main attack or, or, or the, the big splash happened, you know, right after we recorded our last episode. So that was, you know, three weeks ago, but there were still several stories this week talking about organizations that had discovered that through the bad software, the attackers had gotten access to the network and had gotten access to email or gotten access to some other data. So, so people are definitely still discovering yeah. and they're going to be, I think, for a long time. And, and it is a little bit scary. You know, again, it just speaks to the, to the need to think about all the layers of security, you know, throughout everything here uh, and, and be thinking about, okay, you know, I've got my email in, in a safe location, but it's only safe if everyone in the network is, is safe. You know, if we get a bad actor in here, then they can get access to that. So is there a way that we should maybe put that into, uh, you know, a different location so that there has to be another level of access to make sure that we're getting into, you know, email or whatever data it might be? Yeah. I mean, I'll go back to, you know, just sort of the foundational framework that you talk about all the time. And, and I think that companies need to take seriously that security is a individual function within the organization. Again, it, it, that means it, it, it goes as an umbrella over everything, but that you need de dedicated people that are dealing with security um, as opposed to it being something that's just sort of like part of what other people's jobs are. And I think that's critical. Yeah, I guess if, if I were to maybe find sort of a, a silver lining here to try to end on instead of the bad note, it would be this notion that I think a lot of companies are looking and going to continue to look for more security professionals. And, you know, we had a jobs report this week and it wasn't the greatest and a lot of people are still struggling with that. And, you know, there, there's definitely you know, a gap in, in being able to transition from one career into a cybersecurity career, especially a specialized one. But uh, I, I think that the cybersecurity field is going to be one that's very promising for, for a long time. And so for anyone that is considering a career change 
and and has some time, you know, to to maybe plan it out and build their skills. I think that this is a very safe place to go. You know, you mentioned your daughter in college. I had originally tried to encourage my son who's entering college in the fall to look at a cybersecurity career. And he was interested for a little while, but now he's, he's going down a different path. So you can't uh, tell them what to do, Seth. Come on. <laughs> I, I wasn't telling him. I was just <laughs> gently suggesting and hoping that he would take my wise advice. But uh, that's a folly right there. Yeah. <laughs> As I've learned. Yeah. Yeah. But we'll, you know, we can put a link in the show notes too about some of the information that CompTIA has about cybersecurity careers, uh, you know, for anyone that might be interested in exploring that a little bit more. That sounds great. Well, um, well, that was gloom and doom, but um, it was so good to talk to you again after our, our break. Yeah. Very good. I, and I, it was gloom and doom, but uh, maybe not as much gloom and doom as it could have been after this week. So I know, um, I know it's piling on, I guess, um, but um, hopefully brighter days ahead. It is, I didn't say happy new year. I, I, I meant to happy new year. Oh, happy new year to you. And, and yeah, I think brighter days ahead and brighter episodes ahead. I know we spent some time thinking about our plan for, you know, this quarter. And uh, I think we've got some really good episodes lined up uh, with a few interesting guests. So Please, everyone out there, don't uh, don't be too turned off by you know the sad news this week. Um, we'll we'll be back with with some more positive conversations. Rainbows and unicorns, <laughs> you name it. <laughs> okay, my friend, so good to talk to you again. Yep, you too. Have a good one. <laughs>